Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 149 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Warmer weather and spring is in the air, but some beekeepers will be facing some uncomfortable moments with aggressive and grumpy bees this spring. Today, I'm going to try to help you understand why. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me hi everyone and welcome back to our weekly chat about all things beekeeping and sometimes topics that may go a little off piste before we start today i'm going to try something slightly different it's going to be somewhat interactive so hit the pause button or maybe say alexa pause Go grab yourself a pen and a piece of paper, maybe a tea or coffee, and get ready to concentrate later in the podcast. I promise it will be worth it. If you're listening on my Patreon page, I've created a pre-populated worksheet for our little exercise, so you can download and print it out from there. Before we get into today's lockdown lesson, I have to say, what a change in the weather. I know I sound a little like the weekly shipping forecast, always talking about the weather, but I make no apology for it because it affects our every move with what we do with our honeybee colonies. This week saw temperatures shoot up to something like 16 degrees Celsius, a whopping 61 degrees Fahrenheit in February. Let's face it, that kind of temperature in February is pretty nice to have, and I for one find myself twitching to take a look at some of my bees. Unfortunately, I had other priorities and wasn't able to look at any, but I'm sure there were plenty of beekeepers out there who grabbed for the bee suit and smoker and had a sneaky look. If you did, and I hope after everything that I've been saying recently, you had a good reason for inspecting, I do hope that you found everything in order and your bees are thriving. For the rest of us who, for whatever reason, weren't able to inspect or chose not to, We'll just have to wait a few more weeks, as I think the weather is now swinging back to more typical late winter temperatures and not really conditions for inspecting bees once more. In other news, I've been giving a few talks to beekeeping associations recently and thought that I would share some of my thoughts on particularly one or two of the topics that you might well find interesting. One of the main concerns for beginner beekeepers is how on earth they tackle bees that continually try to sting them, or worse still, try to sting anyone that happens to be in their way, a kind of wrong place, wrong time situation. A lot of beekeepers will have no concept of how difficult honeybees can be to manage when they go, let's say, a little rogue. You'll hear them described as aggressive or defensive bees, and occasionally I'll call them grumpy bees, but the end result is the same. Bees that just don't behave themselves and make for an all-round unpleasant beekeeping experience. So what's the difference between the various terms that we give these rogues, these nasty, vindictive creatures that cause worry, pain and anxiety for many beekeepers? And importantly, what can be done to regain control? I tend to divide these colonies into two different groups. 
there are those that are affected by the genetic traits they are given when mating occurs and through no fault of their own take on a character driven by natural selection, open mating or pure chance. Although we have to acknowledge our own hand in some of this. And secondly, those bees that under normal circumstances would otherwise be manageable to inspect and handle, but because of external factors, again, become difficult to handle and manage. Let's consider the tricky topic of inherited traits first. When a queen lays her eggs in worker cells, she fertilises them with sperm held in an organ called the spermatheca. The fertilised egg develops into an adult worker honeybee and will contain genetic material from both mother, the queen, and father, the drone, that the queen mated with. Remember also, the queen will mate with multiple drones, so there could be a variety of traits displayed within a colony over time. When talking with beekeepers that produce their own queens, the subject of culling queens inevitably comes up because the developing colony doesn't have the anticipated or desired traits, the most notable being that of calmness. And when asked about the rough percentage of aggressive colonies, a figure of around 25% is generally offered up, but sometimes as much as 50%, and numbers somewhere in between. As you may know, I spent some time studying a full-time science degree as a mature student, and one of the topics we studied was that of genetics, and it got me thinking about a chap called Gregor Mendel. Now, Gregor was a biologist in the 1800s. He was also an Augustinian friar and abbot with a passion for sweet peas, and he's widely accepted as being the founder of modern genetics. Bear with me here, his experiments established rules of inheritance and allowed a better understanding of how traits can be passed on through mating and crossbreeding. Back to aggression in honeybees. Aggression, generally, is a very complex polygenic trait, meaning there are many genes that ultimately control how aggression is expressed in honeybees, just like us humans, I imagine. That said, it feels like there's a link to a particular type of gene called a recessive gene. Let me explain. Genes can be dominant or recessive, and when our queen fertilises an egg, she gives her worker offspring genetic material from her in the egg and from the drone in the sperm. When this genetic material mixes, it results in half being used from the queen and half from the drone. With me so far, I hope. Stick with it, I promise. It is really interesting and may help you understand why your bees have become nasty. Here we have a chance that either the queen or the drone, both of which are carrying the gene or genes for aggression, may pass on either a dominant or recessive part of the gene to the worker bees. Now, both the queen and the drone carry two parts of this gene, which gets split and is then put back together in the offspring, and that gene may contain either that dominant or recessive part. And it's this recombining of the gene in the worker that results in either calm or aggressive bees. So at this point, let's pause, go grab that piece of paper and pen if you haven't already, because I want to show you how it works, and it's easier for you if you see it in action. 
Draw a nine square grid, three rows and three columns. Imagine they're numbered left to right, one through to nine. Above the top of the grid, write parent queen, and to the left of the grid, write parent drone. Now each of these can have either just the dominant gene or the recessive gene, or in fact, one of each. And for this example, we're going to label the dominant gene as a capital A and the recessive gene as a lowercase a. So in brackets next to the parent queen, write a capital A and a lowercase a. And next to the parent drone, again in brackets, write a capital A and another capital A. Now what you've created is called a Mendelian Punnett square. And this will show you the available gene combinations for your honeybee worker offspring. The way it works is like this. In square number two, remember we're starting top left, leave square one empty. In square two, we write a capital A. And in square number three, we write a lowercase a. These represent the genetic traits for aggression offered by the queen. Now drop down to the middle row and in square number four, write a capital A. And again, drop down to the bottom row and in square number seven, write another capital A. And these represent the genetic traits for aggression offered by the drone. You now have the basic setup of the Punnett square and complete what is called recombination. In square number five, you add the letter from the queen and the letter from the drone. In this case, it's a capital A from the queen and a capital A from the drone. In square number six, we have a lowercase a from the queen and a capital A from the drone. Write them in so that you can visualize what I'm describing. Next in square number eight, we have a capital A from the queen and a capital A from the drone. And finally, in square number nine, we have a lowercase a from the queen and a capital A from the drone. Now just pause and look at the various recombinations of genes and you will see that we don't have a square containing two lowercase a's. And so in this example, the dominant gene overrules the recessive gene and none of the offspring will exhibit the aggressive trait caused by the lowercase recessive a. And this is because the dominant gene will always overrule it. And these are known as F1 offspring. And an example of that might be the Buckfast type B. Now I'm not going to talk you through the next couple of examples, but again, draw another nine square grid and do exactly the same thing. But this time, instead of the drone having genes that are both capital A's, make the parent drone genes a capital A and a lowercase a, exactly the same as the queen and see what happens when you mix them together in the squares. Again, if you want, pause the podcast and write it out before going on. If everything goes well, you'll find that in square nine, you have a recombination of a lowercase a from the queen and a lowercase a from the drone. And hey presto, the recessive gene is shown, a term called expression. The recessive gene is expressed 
and the bees exhibit the aggressive trait. I do hope that some of you have tried this out because for me it was a light bulb moment when I was doing this topic at university. If you really want to see how this can evolve, construct another Punnett square and try making the queen a lowercase a and another lowercase a and the drone a capital A and a lowercase a. And you'll see that it really can get a lot worse before it gets better. If you fancy comparing the different grids, try creating them in a spreadsheet so that they sit side by side. So, although this is a complex topic, we can see how genetics can affect the temper and aggression of our colonies. It's why queen breeders raise their queens in isolation apiaries, or hidden away on remote islands. It's also a reason why, when beginner beekeepers buy their first nucleus colonies, they can find themselves very quickly falling into despair as the colony swarms and new genes mix with old and recombinations lead to aggressive, unmanageable colonies. It's a horrible combination of new beekeeper trying their best to look after a colony which promised so much at the beginning of the year and ends up causing so much anxiety. This is a real issue when dealing with so-called buckfast type bees and I would urge you to try to understand what's happening to your colony when you lose your first or even your second swarm from a colony headed up with a queen of this type. Once you know why the bees are behaving badly you can focus on managing the situation and recovering from it. As I said it's a very complex topic and other traits such as bees following the beekeeper after inspections or greeting beekeepers as they head out to inspect, are all tied up in these genetic recombinations. Many colonies are not like this at all. Many will be quite calm, don't follow, don't sting, and behave with the utmost calmness. If you're lucky enough to have colonies such as these, then count your blessings. There are many beekeepers out there struggling with unmanageable colonies and having a difficult time of it. This aggression in colonies is not the same as grumpy bees. I like to make the distinction because not all temper issues are the result of genetics. Grumpiness in our honeybee colonies is a result of external factors and can disappear as quickly as they appear. If you've ever inspected your bees immediately after a nectar flow is shut down, you'll probably know exactly what I mean. Normally placid bees suddenly turn horribly teenager-like throwing their toys out of the pram and becoming particularly nasty. For those of you unfamiliar with a nectar flow, it's when the bees have a glut of forage, particularly nectar, and they pack it away in every possible cell, be it brood cell or in the honey boxes or supers. You can tell you're on a flow, as we call it, because when you pick up any frame from your hive, the nectar just pours from the cells still full of water and not yet reduced down in water content. When the tap gets turned off, the bees respond as I described, and it can be quite unpleasant, especially if you're also looking to remove supers shortly after for extraction. At other times, things like atmospheric conditions can play havoc with a normally calm colony. Thunderstorms, sudden cooler weather, these can all cause issues for the beekeeper. 
But by far the number one cause of grumpiness in a colony has to be poor beekeeping skills. I see it fairly regularly. In fact, I have a couple of colonies in an outapiary from another beekeeper who maintains that the bees are aggressive, but to me they seem quite easy to control. Things like thumping your smoker and hive tool down on the top of the hive before opening it, crashing around in front of the hive, dropping the roof on the floor with a bash, bad use of the hive tool in removing frames, the list just goes on. There are so many ways beekeepers can effectively wind up their bees so they become grumpier and grumpier. The good news is it can be rectified very quickly. Take your time, watch my handling skills videos and be gentle with your bees. Do all of that and your bees will be perfectly fine most of the time. Of course, that is as long as they don't have the genetic predisposition to get under your veil. If so, we'll need to look at how to manage that. Perhaps next week. That's it for this week. But don't worry, I will be with you again next week. But for now though, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Sweet.